I looked it up today. I have been alive for 17,612 days. Don't do the math. I'll just tell you. 48, okay? And you know, the, the funny thing is, I couldn't tell you what happened on most of those days. Not because they weren't important, not because, you know, they weren't valuable and, and meaningful and, and, you know, good things. But how many know some days just tend to stand out more than others? Some days things happen that, that you remember. You remember the date. You remember where you were. You remember how it happened. You remember all the details. Some days carry more significance because of what happened on those days. Thought about salvation. January 12, 1994. Gave my life to Jesus Christ at the altar on Baxter Street. Never forget it. My, the, the entire course of my eternity changed that day. Married August 27, 1995. The birth of my kids. And I won't, I won't say their birthdays because I don't want to get it wrong. But I remember those days. They were good days. Sometimes those days of significance may be things that we know about in advance. You know, of course, I knew my wedding was coming. I didn't know I was going to get saved on January 12th. Some things we know about, but other things we don't. They just simply come and they happen without warning. They just transpire as we go about living life. And today I want to talk about one of the best-known Bible stories in the Bible. Bible story in the Bible. I guess that makes sense, right? One of the best-known Bible stories, and that is the story of David and Goliath. And what is amazing is that that day started out for David just like any other, and yet became one of the most, if not the most, significant day in his life. I want to preach a sermon tonight entitled, A Date with Destiny. 1 Samuel 17, I'm going to start in verse 26. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. For you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go out and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. 
And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head, and he also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch which he had. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Hallelujah. I want to first consider a faithful service. In the Tucson Conference, Pastor Paul Stevens preached an incredible sermon about the messenger boy. And the, the main point that he was making in that sermon is that it just simply highlights the reality that God prepares us for destiny. God releases destiny. God opens doors for us to step into destiny simply as we go about the everyday menial tasks of life. And this revelation alone should really encourage us because how many know about 98% of life is simply going through regular, routine, daily, menial tasks. That's what consists of most of life, following routines, doing the necessary repetitive things that we need to get done each day. It's not exciting. It's not flashy. It's not glamorous. It's just simply living life. And this is one of the curses of social media, is when you look at social media, you're not looking at someone's everyday life. What you're looking at is their highlight reel. You're looking at the highlights of their life. You're looking at the high points, the exciting things, the things that they, they really loved and enjoyed and had a good time at. You're looking at the highlight reel of their life. But how many know the highlight reel doesn't tell the whole story? I can remember being at sporting events, various games, and, you know, when Tiger Woods came back and won the Masters, it was, you know, it's considered to be one of the greatest comebacks in all of golf, if not sports history. And I was there that day at the Masters on Sunday when he won. And I remember walking around and watching him play at certain holes, and then you'd have to skip ahead and watch him three holes later because there were so many people. But you'd see him go by and play, and I mean, it, um, it was cool. It was nice, but... Later on, after I get back home and I'm watching highlight reels of that round and the commentators and the excitement that they're putting into it and all the enthusiasm and all the incredible stats, I mean, it's like, it's like a totally different event. It's like, wow, it didn't seem that exciting when I was there. In fact, I was already walking to my car to beat traffic when he was on number 18 green. <laughs> Most of life consists of just doing the necessary tasks without fanfare, without excitement, without the cameras, just living life. But the good news is that God is at work even in the midst of those times that might seem boring. Even in the midst of those times that seem mundane, that just seem like you're going through doing the same things over and over and over, day after day, week after week, month after month. I want to encourage you that, you know what, God is at work during those times. In our text, we're reading about David. In verse 28, Eliab's, Eliab, David's older brother, says to him, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? And in a derogatory way, Eliab is making reference to David's role at home. 
David's primary role at home was to be the shepherd. He was the one that was most responsible for keeping watch over the sheep. Whenever important things would come up that the others had to go and do, they would just dump all the sheep to David. He was the one that was primarily responsible for the flock. When Samuel came to Jesse, because God had sent Samuel there and said, Jesse, one of your sons, you have eight sons, one of them God is going to anoint to be king. Call all of your sons here. 1 Samuel 16, 10 and 11. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes. Now think of that. Samuel says, one of your sons is called to be king. Bring all of them in. David's own father didn't even think it was worth bringing him in. David's own father said, well, I'm sure it's not David. Just leave him out there with the sheep. And brought the other seven in. Even in his father's mind, he was just a shepherd boy. This was his primary purpose and function in life, was just watch the sheep. And not that I really know a lot about shepherding, but I find it difficult to imagine a job that would be more boring, that would be more menial and mundane and unexciting, if that's a word, is simply sitting there and watching sheep all day long. I mean, all they do is walk around and eat grass and get in trouble. The highlight of your day would be moving from this patch of grass to this patch of grass. And that's David's primary role in life at that point was to just simply watch the sheep. But it's in the faithful performance of this role that God is able to accomplish some incredible things in the life of David. So listen to David. He is describing some of the experiences that he had while shepherding. Verse 34 in our text. David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. So David is simply going about his regular daily routine, just like every other day, leading the sheep around, making sure he's finding water, making sure he's finding good pasture for them to eat. And all of a sudden, a lion comes out. A bear comes out and takes one of the lambs or sheep out of the flock. And this reveals two things about David. First of all, this reveals that David has developed a shepherd's heart in, in the midst of just simply going about this everyday task. Because he is a good shepherd, he has a heart to protect and to watch over and defend the sheep. When a lion comes, when the bear comes, he is compelled to action. He is moved to do something about it. If it were me, I would just say, that's just one sheep. I've got, you know, 400 others. Have good lunch. We're out of here. But that's not the heart of David. David looked at that same scenario and said, uh-uh, you're not getting my sheep. And he went after the lion. He went after the bear. In performing this role or his role as a shepherd, David developed a heart just like the heart of God. Acts 13, 22. 
When he had removed him, speaking about King Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. This is God's testimony about the heart of David. This is God's testimony about the character that David had developed while he was just simply out there watching sheep. He was just simply going about his everyday task day after day. But in the midst of that, God looked upon that. And God was at work and God says, I have put a heart in David just like mine. Secondly, we see that David has developed some skills that God could use. When David went after the lion and the bear, he had learned how to use a sling. He had practiced, he had, he had honed this into a fine art where he was able to use a sling and with great accuracy, sling rocks. And so when he went after these wild animals, he was able to put that skill to use in defending the sheep. See, David found a way to make use of his time in the wilderness. And in doing so, he developed a talent. He developed an ability, something that he could offer to God that God could put to use. David wasn't just sitting idle all that time. He wasn't just sleeping and napping and playing games. David learned a skill that would be useful he didn't plan on using that skill to defeat, defeat Goliath one day. That wasn't his plan. That wasn't in his mind. He was simply developing a skill that made sense for his situation. He was doing something with his time. He was finding a way to be profitable, a way to not just sit idle and sleep the day away. Another skill that David developed while he was shepherding was his musical ability, composing and performing songs. And this talent would be ultimately used by God to bless King Saul when he was losing his mind. David could play music that would drive the evil spirits away and, and minister to him and help him. And as we know, David went on to write many, if not most, of the Psalms in the Bible. A lot of that was developed while he was just simply going about his daily routine watching the sheep. And this is a mistake that many people make is they fail to realize that God wants to use their time in the wilderness to develop skills, talents, and abilities that can be used later. And people find themselves in situations that they feel like is just boring, it's just routine, I'm just doing the same thing over and over, I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere, I'm not making any progress, I'm doing the same thing day in and day out. And rather than use that time and allow God to work and develop skills that God can use, they waste that time. And then when opportunity comes, they're not ready. David was expected to take care of the sheep. He was the shepherd. And he did this job to the best of his ability. And in doing so, God was at work. God was doing something in the heart of David. And again, David wasn't doing all of this knowing that at some future point he had a date with Goliath. He had no idea. He was simply doing that because that was his job. That was his responsibility. That's what he was expected to do, so he did it with all of his heart. And this is true for you and I as well, as we will be faithful to carry out whatever responsibilities you have, no matter how boring and mundane it might seem, 
no matter how unexciting it is, no matter how repetitive, if we will embrace the biblical mentality spoken in Colossians 3, it says, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. Note it says, whatever you do. Not just what you do in the spotlight. Not just what you do when everybody's watching. He says, whatever you do, do it with all of your heart. Do it as if you're doing it for Jesus, because you are. And attached to living with this kind of a mentality is a promise. Verse 24 says, there is a reward of an inheritance. And that simply means that God is at work. God is producing something out of your efforts and out of that attitude and spirit that you embrace. God is producing something that will bless your life. There is an inheritance. And lastly, take note that David stepped into destiny while simply carrying out a task for his father. 1 Samuel 17, 17 and 18 says, Jesse said to his son David, take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these 10 loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these 10 cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. See, David... He didn't have plans to go out and meet Goliath. He didn't even know about Goliath. He was going to the camp that day because his dad told him to take some bread and some grain and some cheese. That's why he was going. He was simply carrying out a simple task that his father had asked him to do. But in the midst of that, God opened a tremendous door for him. And let me encourage you. God is at work. God is preparing you. God is developing you. God is looking to open doors for you. And you have to be aware of this reality that God wants to use that time right where you're at. Even though it's not exciting. Even though it may not seem like you're doing a whole lot. That doesn't mean God isn't. God is working. Our job is to remain faithful doing what we're supposed to do. I want to look secondly at opposition to God's will. When the time came, David was about to be propelled by God into the spotlight. He's about to step into this incredible open door, but what he encounters as soon as he arrives at the camp is he begins to encounter resistance. How many know the will of God will encounter resistance? Matthew eleven twelve. 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, I can't tell you that I really understand exactly what that verse means, but I can tell you for sure, it definitely means there's going to be struggle. There's going to be resistance. There's going to have to be some fight in you if you're going to be successful at carrying out the will of God. You have to be able and willing to fight and overcome resistance. The first place that we see David finding this resistance is from his own family. Verse 28, Eliab's anger, that's his older brother, was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. 
So immediately David begins to get pushback from his own brother. What are you doing here? Why did you come down here? What did you do with those few little sheep you're supposed to be watching? In other words, David, you don't belong here. Who do you think you are? You're not qualified to be here. You're just a little shepherd. Why don't you go home and watch those little sheep, David? You ever been there? Start getting stirred to do something for God? You start getting stirred about God challenging you to step out, challenging you to rise up, only to encounter something like this where you begin to meet resistance. Who do you think you are? Don't you know, who you, don't you know what you've done? You can't do that. They're not going to listen to you. God can't use you for Give it up, man. Just go back. Step back. You start to hear these voices, these challenges coming against you. David's brother assaults his ability. He says, you're just a shepherd. Go on back to your few sheep. He assaults his motives. He says, I know your pride and your arrogance. He's saying, David, all you're doing is just coming down here for some entertainment, just to be a part of the excitement. That's all you want. But thank God, David wasn't deterred by this opposition. In verse 30, it says, then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. David refused to be discouraged by his brother. He refused to allow this opposition to turn him away from what God was pushing him toward doing. Scripture says he turned away from him. Eliab's running his mouth and, and coming against him, and David says, I don't have time for you. Turned and began to speak with someone else. Do you have people speaking against the will of God for your life? Do you have people speaking discouragement and doubt into your life about moving forward and taking steps of faith in the will of God? Don't let them. Do like David. David started hearing these words and he just, he turned away. I'm not listening to that. Do you have people speaking those kind of words? Turn away. Don't listen to them. Don't allow them to influence you and discourage you from doing what God is compelling you to do. Second, we see David meets resistance from King Saul. So eventually David finds himself in front of the king and he is offering to go out and fight against Goliath. And he encounters resistance from King Saul in two different ways. First, based on logic and reason. Verse 33, Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight. You are youth, and he a man of war from his youth. Basically, the king says, you can't win. This man is a massive warrior. He has been killing people since the day you were born, David. You don't stand a chance. You can't fight him, David. You can't win. It's impossible. King Saul is looking at this situation and he is making his assessment. His calculation is based solely upon reason and logic. It's based only on the natural. And this is where many people go wrong when it comes to the kingdom of God. Making judgments and calculations based only on natural ability and what makes sense, what is possible, what is logical, if that's how you make decisions in life, you will miss God. 
If David had listened to King Saul, he would have missed God because that makes sense. David is, you know, a teenager getting ready to fight a nine-foot warrior that's been killing people since before David was born. Logically, you can't win, David. But how many know the outcome was a little different than that? If that's how you process life, is solely based on the natural, then you're going to miss God. David is confronted with this opposition. He is confronted with this logical conclusion that his desire to fight Goliath makes no sense and is an impossible task. But David wasn't looking at this thing the same way Saul was. David wasn't looking at this situation based solely on natural ability. He wasn't looking at it based on logic and ability. David was viewing this same situation from a supernatural perspective. Verse 37, Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. See, David understood based on his past experiences that God was involved. God was going to help him. This wasn't just going to be David against Goliath. This was the God of heaven against Goliath. This wasn't just a battle in the natural. This was the supernatural. David understood that, and he was processing this same situation with a very different perspective than King Saul. David understood that there was supernatural power available from God himself that would help him. He had seen it in the past, and he knew God would do it again in the future. The second opposition that King Saul brings against David is based on his methods. So once King Saul finally relented and he agreed, okay, David, fine. If you want to fight him, I'm not going to stop you. You go on out there and fight him. But then he began to impose upon David exactly how he was going to fight him. Verse 38, so Saul clothed David with his armor. So the king says, fine, if you're going to go out there and fight him, you need to put on my armor. You need to put on this armor, this this uh, breastplate, and you need to carry this shield and tie my sword on. If you're going to do this, David, then you're going to have to wear my armor to do it. In other words, if you're going to do this, if you're going to go out there and try to get involved and do something, you're going to have to do it the way I say. And we encounter this mentality all the time on outreach, don't we? We encounter those who want to come against our methods. Oh, well, you're just shouting at people on the street. Don't you know you're turning people off? Don't you know you're driving people away? People aren't going to get saved by street preaching. People aren't going to get saved by knocking on doors and witnessing. Don't you know you're offending people? Constantly coming against methods. And it's amazing to me how people who aren't doing anything for God are going to try to tell you how to do something for God. And that's exactly what King Saul is doing in our text. King Saul, who won't do anything himself about this giant. King Saul is head and shoulders above everybody else. The Bible tells us that. That's part of why he was picked to be king. He was a big guy. And yet King Saul refuses to do anything himself. And yet he's going to now tell David, well, if you're going to do it, you little ruddy kid, you need to do it with my armor. David tries on the armor and says, you know what, 
No thanks. I can't even walk in this stuff. And this is where many people go wrong. David could have felt pressured by the king, could have felt pressured by the fact that every other warrior on that battlefield that day was wearing armor. He's the only one on the battlefield that's getting ready to fight and not have some kind of armor or weapon. It could have gotten to his head. You know, maybe I need a shield too. Maybe, maybe I do need to wear this armor. Maybe I do need to try to take this sword out there. And unfortunately, many people cave to this kind of pressure and abandon what God has spoken to them and what God has stirred them to do and the pattern that God has taught them. And this is particularly true when you go out to pioneer. This is one of the things I experienced is people will come against the methods of our fellowship, which is basically the methods of the Bible. People will come against that and you will feel pressured and you'll feel intimidated and and they're trying to impose their methods upon you instead of what God is calling you to do. And thank God, David didn't give in to this pressure. David grabs his shepherd's staff, his sling, and a few rocks because that's what he knew. That's what God had used before. That's what God was going to use this time. And David wasn't worried about methods because David understood this isn't about methods. This is about the God of heaven getting involved in this situation and taking care of that giant. I want to look last at stepping into destiny. Israel was in a desperate situation. This had gone on for 40 days now. The army of Israel had been paralyzed by fear. As Goliath would come out twice a day, morning and evening, he would come out and mock them and taunt them and mock God and make fun of the children of Israel and call them who knows what. Eighty times he had come out and mocked them, and yet no one would step out and face this giant until finally David shows up on the scene. All these great warriors are just paralyzed by fear. David, the little shepherd, shows up, and he's ready to jump into action right away. I want to consider a few important elements that are at work here as David ultimately steps into destiny because these same elements are going to be at work for you and I. Because how many of you know God has destiny for all of us? God has plans. God has doors he wants to open. And if we're going to see ourselves fulfill those plans of God, these things will be at work. Number one is timing. There is a fundamental truth at work in our text here. David just happens to come on the scene as Goliath is coming out to taunt the armies of Israel. So as David arrives, Goliath is out and begins to boast and and mock them and rail on them and make fun of them and, and rail against God and challenge them. So David comes on the scene and he begins to observe this and see this. Scripture tells us this has been happening 40 days, so 80 times now this has gone on and no one has made a move to do anything. And it's at this point when David begins to ask questions. David begins to inquire, why, is, why are we not going out and shutting up that big giant? Why are we letting him talk like that? Why isn't someone rising up and, and fighting this guy? And so as he begins to ask questions and talk to some of the the warriors that are there, it begins to create a bit of a stir. 
The army of Israel was at its lowest point here. They were despondent. They were without hope. They saw no way of getting out of this situation. They had no expectation for how this could ever end. They're desperate for a solution. And so as soon as David shows up on the scene and begins to talk, an atmosphere of hope returns. An atmosphere of hopefulness begins to stir amongst them. And they begin to try and encourage him even. They're telling him, oh, you know, the king said, whoever kills that giant won't have to pay taxes for the rest of their life. They can marry the king's daughter. And they begin to say all these great rewards that are available to whoever would go out and take care of this giant. They were so desperate that they were excited about a shepherd boy that was willing to fight this giant. This was the timing of God. God had orchestrated this whole situation because God had a plan all along. And see, this is the reality that all of us will see at work when we begin to step into the plan and the destiny of God is timing is always a part of it. Secondly, this leads to the reality that David could be stirred. Verse 29, it says, David said, is there not a cause? David sees what is happening. David sees the giant mocking them. David sees the giant mocking God. And something begins to stir inside of him. Something begins to rise up in him to say, this is not right. This should not be happening. We serve the God of heaven. There is no way this giant should be allowed to speak like this. Something begins to stir in him. And as his brother Eliab is pushing back against him and challenging him and, and ridiculing him and trying to send him away, David makes that statement and says, is there not a cause? David was seeing the same thing these soldiers had seen for 40 days now. He had seen it once. They had been watching it for 40 days. And the difference is that the soldiers could not be stirred by God to do anything about it. These soldiers were sitting there and 80 times they sat and watched this giant ridicule them and challenge them. And yet every single one of them was willing to just sit back and take it and wait on somebody else to do something. Man, somebody should really go shut him up. Somebody ought to do something. You hear what he's saying about us? Somebody needs to go shut him up. But not one of them was stirred enough to do anything about it. David sees this offensive giant once and immediately begins to get stirred by God to do something about it. See, David had a heart that could be stirred a heart that could be moved upon by the Spirit of God to do something. These soldiers were gripped by fear. They were motivated by self-preservation. Their perspective was entirely rooted in the natural. They were only looking at what was possible in the natural. Look at the size of that guy. I can't fight him. And even though they didn't like what they were seeing, they didn't like what was happening. They felt powerless to do anything about it because they were dominated by fear. And they couldn't be stirred by God to step out and believe him. How about you? Can God stir your heart? 
When you look out upon the needs that are all around us, when you look out upon families that are being destroyed, when you look out upon people that are losing their mind, people whose lives are being destroyed by drugs, by alcohol, by immorality, all of the insanity that this generation is constantly pumping down their throats, when you look at that, does your heart get stirred? Can God stir you to say, is there not a cause? The third thing we see in this text is that God needed a man. See, the truth that is revealed here is God has chosen to work through people. Ezekiel 22, so I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. And this is a chilling scripture. God wanted to bring deliverance. God wanted to bring healing. God did not want to pour out judgment. But what he needed was a man to rise up and stand in the gap. And he could find none. And because of that, he had to pour out judgment. Ultimately, God is the one that defeated Goliath. God honored David's faith, and God helped him to defeat that giant. But the reality is, I believe that any one of those soldiers could have accomplished that same thing. Any one of the soldiers that was there seeing this giant mock them and mock God, had they risen up in faith, had they trusted God, any one of them could have defeated that giant because ultimately God is the one that did it anyway. Not that they could have done it in their own strength. If they had stepped out in their own pride and their own arrogance, trusting in their own ability, that hinders God from being able to help you. And they likely would have been wiped out. But a man willing to step out in faith invites the presence and the power of God to help. He said, I'm not discounting David's role in all of this either. You know, David had a part to play. David had developed skills. We already talked about that with the sling and the rock. David brought something to the table that God could use. So it's not just that we say we just sit back and watch and just let's just see what God does. God could have killed Goliath on day one by himself if he wanted to, right? But what God was looking for is a man that would rise up, a man that would trust God and believe God and step out in faith. Because that's how God has chosen to move, is through people. David did what he could, and that gave God something to bless, something to anoint, to use, to accomplish his will. And David simply used what he had. A rock, five rocks, a sling, shepherd's stick, that's all he had. But that's exactly what God used. So what do you have? What are you offering to God for his purposes and his glory? What are you holding up saying, God, you can use this? It doesn't have to be something amazing. It doesn't have to be some exceptional talent or ability. Remember, we're trusting God for the results. We're not trusting in ourselves. We're not trusting in our ability. We're simply offering up what we have and saying, God, you can use this. 
and then God anoints and God gets involved and God is the one that gets the glory. Moses had a stick. God said, okay, I can use that. The last thing we see here is that David had vision. David wasn't inspired just by his own glory. David wasn't inspired and motivated by just this single incident. He didn't realize that this was going to be, you know, a defining moment for his life, that this would would propel him into, uh, you know, fame and stardom. He had no idea of any of that. David was inspired by the glory of God. He was inspired about the name of the God of Israel. 1 Samuel 17, 45 and 40, or through 47, it says, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all the assemblies shall know that the Lord does not save with the sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. See, David wasn't trusting in his own skill and ability David wasn't just concerned about this single little incident. David was concerned about the glory of God. David was concerned about a vision for how everyone was going to view the God of Israel. He was concerned about the name and the glory of God, and that is what motivated him to want to do something about Goliath. So what motivates you and I tonight? We motivated by the glory of God, advancing the kingdom of God, having a vision and a burden to reach the lost, or are we motivated by trying to make a name for ourselves, trying to get in the spotlight, trying to find our time to shine so that others can see how great we are? David had a vision for the things of God throughout his life, and that is why he had such an incredible life lived for God. It's because that was his primary concern, was the glory of God. I want to encourage you tonight with the daily routines of life because it, it, can, it can get old, it can get mundane. Going through this, you know, you get up, you go to prayer, you go to work, you go home, you eat, you go to bed. You get up, you go to prayer, you go to work, you go to... It's over and over but I want to encourage you that in the midst of doing that, know that God is working. God is doing something. All of these incredible attributes about David were accomplished while he was a shepherd, while he was just watching sheep. All that time watching sheep prepared him to defeat Goliath. God has tremendous plans and destiny for this church and for every single person in here. And if you and I will be faithful, that faithful to do what we know to do throughout all the daily routines of life, if we'll be faithful to that, then we can have a confidence that, you know what, when the time comes, when the timing of God is there, God will open those doors that you stepped through. You didn't even realize you were getting ready to step through this incredible, life-altering opportunity. 
You were making this decision that was going to forever change the direction of your life. But as you simply trust and obey God, you'll find you look back and you say, man, look at what God did. All that time that seemed like it was just nothing happening. But you look back and you say, man, look at what God accomplished. Praise God. Let's bow our heads tonight. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Reverence to God. Hallelujah. I want to just quickly extend an invitation for anyone that's not saved. Never been born again. You've never made a decision to turn away from your sin and live for Jesus Christ with all of your heart. If that's you, but God is dealing with you tonight and you want to do that, you want to surrender, you want to be forgiven of your sin, you want to begin living in a relationship with God, you can have that tonight. Raise your hand and we'll pray with you. Anyone here? Unsaved, want to be born again tonight. Or maybe you're backslidden. At one time you were saved, you were living for God, but you've turned your back on God. You've gone back to your sin. You've gone back to a life that you know God is not pleased with. You know that you're not doing the will of God. You say, you know what, I'm ready to come back. I'm ready to surrender once again and begin to follow Jesus with all of my heart from this day forward. If that's you, raise your hand. We'll pray with you tonight. Praise God. Talk to Christians then. I've been saved a long time. I've been through a lot of days as a Christian. And it's, it's easy to be discouraged. It's easy to be, to just not realize that even when you don't see things happening, even when you don't necessarily feel like God is doing very much, even when you don't really recognize that God is working, God is building character, God is putting things in you, God is developing talents and abilities that He is going to use in a future time. We don't always realize that. But thank God we can learn from the life of David that even in the midst of probably one of the most boring jobs there is, watching sheep, God was at work accomplishing incredible things. God was able to fasten a heart just like his own in David while he was a shepherd. God was able to raise up a tremendous king, tremendous man of God through that. These altars are open tonight. I want to encourage you to come pray, spend some time seeking God as we sing and worship God tonight.